Hello, and thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. In this episode, you'll hear from Dr. Heather Kristoff. She's an associate professor of biological chemistry at UCLA Johnson Comprehensive Cancer Center. And if you go to her lab's website, you'll see that she's trying to understand how metabolic transitions are regulated and how the metabolic state of the cell contributes to cell identity. What does that even mean? Until a few minutes ago, I had no idea. But the cool thing about Dr. Kristoff not only is she a leading cell metabolism researcher, she can actually explain it. And so my colleague, Susanna Greer, spoke with her. Dr. Greer, what did you think? Hey, Joe. I really enjoyed talking to Heather because she did a lovely job of breaking down lots of really complicated issues around metabolism. It's a, a nuanced field and area because if you think about it, all normal cells have to be able to bring nutrients into their cell bodies and utilize them to maintain themselves, to divide. But we also know that cancer cells are sneaky, right? And they will also have not only this same need to bring in nutrients and grow and divide, but will mutate to become really great at doing these things, um, at metabo metabolism that helps to drive this uncontrolled tumor cell growth. So the field of metabolism is so interesting to me because it is a thoughtful consideration of how do we take the knowledge learned of how cancer cells utilize metabolic processes to grow and divide? How do we take that knowledge and generate targeted therapies where we can eliminate this ability that cancer cells have but do no harm to normal cells? So it's a fascinating field, and Heather and her group have made some really exciting contributions in this area. So she does a nice job of taking us through that that story. So, all right, let's hear from Heather. Hey, Heather, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am great. All right, so we got some big numbers to think about first off. So I guess scientists estimate that the human body has something like 30 trillion cells, which is pretty mind-blowing. Even more mind-blowing is that all of these cells have to have energy and different types of materials in order to survive. So can you just help us to understand how does this happen? What, what kinds of processes help help these cells to to gain those materials that they need in order for uh, just maintenance for all the things that they have to have to grow and divide? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, the body has different organs, and each of the organs has a different role to play in the body. For instance, the stomach help, and even your, um, your tongue helps you digest food, and then the nutrients from that food gets absorbed by the colon and the intestines, um, and then those nutrients can travel through uh, your blood vessels to be delivered to all the cells in the body. And so then the cells have, on a more microscopic level, have different proteins on their surface called transporters to take in those nutrients. And that's how, that's how nutrients are delivered. In times when you're not eating, other organs store nutrients, and uh, those nutrients can be broken down 
and then released into the bloodstream to be delivered to the different places in the body. All right. So it it sounds like there's a, a really kind of tightly orchestrated way that our body deals with times of feast and times of famine, right? When you have these nutrients and these materials, you can make them bioavailable. And when you don't have them, you can also make them bioavailable. So can you talk to us about this equilibrium that healthy cells use and talk to us about the terms that you might you might use to talk about these nutrients, things like energy and carbon dioxide. So I guess what I'm asking is, can you break down, in a way, metabolism for us and just talk to us a little bit more on the molecular level about how metabolism works? Well, sure. I mean, all cells need to acquire nutrients in order to live. And so the process of breaking down nutrients is called metabolism. It's part of metabolism. It's um, a certain part of metabolism called catabolism. And cells also need to build things um, like DNA and proteins and lipids, these components of the cell. Um, And that's also another process of metabolism called anabolism. So there is always an equilibrium for cells. They need to balance their catabolism with their anabolism. This is This is tightly orchestrated. And then so regarding carbon dioxide, part of the process of breaking down nutrients involves release of carbon dioxide. The cells respire. They use oxygen to help uh, catabolize glucose, for instance, one of the main sugars in our body. And in this process, carbon dioxide is released. All right, so it sounds like there is, well, you mentioned there is an equilibrium that's established and lots of decisions that cells have to make as they are either breaking down nutrients or um, using them for building. So all that sounds great. It sounds like things should go perfectly all the time. So how then is this different maybe in cancer cells? Tell us about how some of these balances might be shifted. Well, that's a great question because cancer cells do have a very different metabolism in general than most of their normal cell counterparts. And that is because most normal cells that are not dividing mainly want to use their nutrients to acquire energy. But most cancer cells want to use the nutrients they take up to build things. They use them to build more DNA and protein and lipids in order to grow and divide. And that is a really big difference. Cancer cells need to take in a lot more nutrients than normal cells to provide material, building material, for this macromolecule um, synthesis. And so that is quite a, a big difference in the equilibrium of normal cells versus cancer cells. Okay, so that makes sense that cancer cells may have kind of a different goal in mind. They're really trying to store up all of these materials in order to have this excessive growth. But I guess that gets to a question that the scientific community has is, and something that that you're particularly interested in. So we know then that there are changes in metabolism that occur as cancer cells evolve and progress. 
But are they just kind of a side effect of cancer or do we think that these changes that we see in the way cancer cells use nutrients are actually causing the uncontrolled cell growth? Well, research in the last you know, 10 to 15 years or so has shown that the mutations in genes that are often found in cancer actually cause this altered metabolism that enables cells to take in more nutrients, take in cancer cells to take in more nutrients and use these nutrients to build macromolecules that support the growth of the tumor. So, so most scientists now don't think that this change in metabolism is just along for the ride. Most scientists think that this does functionally contribute to growth of tumors um, and that, that how tumors a- achieve this altered metabolism is through mutation in oncogenes and tumor suppressor genes um, that actually lead to cancer. All right. Well, so that's pretty fascinating. So if that's the case, and I'll ask you to remind us what an oncogene and a tumor suppressor gene is, but assuming then that these mutations are actually causing these shifts in metabolism, it seems like that if we could disrupt tumor cell metabolism, you might be able to disrupt tumor cell growth. So maybe talk to us a little about that, a little bit about that in light of maybe a, an oncogene or tumor suppressor gene. Is that something you could share? Sure, of course. So first of all, oncogenes and tumor suppressor genes are uh, genes in our body that control growth of cells. And when they're mutated, the, the cancer cells have unlimited growth. There, there are many of them um, now. And some of the audience may be familiar with ones that cause familial cancer syndromes like mutations in BRCA1 and BRCA2, which are unfortunately give people a higher incidence of breast cancer and, and some other cancers as well. So they're not only genes um, involved in growth, but also in DNA repair and things like that that can increase someone's incidence of cancer or risk for cancer. So then one of the things that you postulated was that we know that mutations in genes like tumor suppressor genes and oncogenes, genes yes. that are controlling cell growth, um, may cause shifts in metabolism. So if that's yes. the case, it seems like if we were to target cell metabolism, you could block tumor cell growth. Yes. So tumor cell metabolism enables cancer cells to grow. So this altered metabolism characterized by increased nutrient uptake and use of those nutrients to build the macromolecules that support the growth of the tumor is a fundamental process required for tumor growth. And downstream of the mutations in oncogenes and tumor suppressor genes. And so you're right. If we could come up with a way to block this altered metabolism found in cancer, we would be able to reduce the growth of the tumor because this is fundamental. There's no other way for the tumors to grow. They need to bring in nutrients and use those nutrients to build macromolecules that support the growth of the tumor. All right, so now we're rolling. It sounds like we're on to something. So then how could we do it? How could we use disruption of tumor cell metabolism as a cancer therapy? That is uh, the subject of, of pretty much the whole field of cancer metabolism. We are all trying to figure out 
the most intelligent way to reduce cancer cell growth, uh, cancer cell metabolism, in order to reduce tumor growth without harming normal cells and normal tissues. And that is the challenge because metabolic pathways are found in cancer cells as well as normal cells. And so the, the challenge is finding the processes that are required for the tumor but not for normal tissues. All right, so it sounds like you are on to something. So can you tell us maybe a, a piece of your research, something contributing to this area that you're particularly excited about right now? Because this does seem like kind of an overwhelming challenge to overcome. How do we inhibit metabolism in a way that cancer cells are specifically targeted, but we do no harm to normal cells who are just going about their own business, um, storing nutrients, growing, repairing? So the way that my lab has gone about trying to identify tumor-required uh, altered metabolic pathways is by using viruses as a guide to tell us what's important. And let me, let me explain why we're doing this. So interestingly, when viruses infect normal cells, they rewire the metabolism of normal cells to resemble that of cancer cells. They also need the, the infected cell to take in more nutrients and use those nutrients to build macromolecules that support the replication of the virus. And so it's the, the metabolism of a virus-infected cell very closely resembles the metabolism of a cancer cell. However, the key difference is that viruses undergo really intense selection for efficiency. They only turn on exactly what they need to build a ton more of themselves. And so it's very telling which metabolic enzymes um, or proteins that in, that's involved in this altered metabolism, which ones are required for them, because they only turn on a handful of them. And we found that those ones are also important for cancer, and especially important for cancer. So that's been our approach to identify new cancer metabolism targets and um, and ways to block cancer growth by targeting cancer metabolism. So that's really fascinating. So you're able to use viral infection as a guide, really, to point you in the direction of where cancer cells, which maybe aren't making decisions in the exact same way, but perhaps are moving down the path of least resistance to survival, um, where some target, appropriate targets might be. So can you tell us about a, a result that you're pretty excited about right now? Yes, I do want to tell you about a result that we're really excited about. But let me just mention that there's actually precedent for using viruses as a guide to learn about cancer. Um, some of our first oncogenes and tumor suppressor genes were first um, identified by studying viruses. Um, we learned a lot about the existence of oncogenes and tumor suppressor genes by noticing that viruses that cause transmissible cancers carry mutated versions of normal growth regulatory genes. This is actually how oncogenes and tumor specter genes were discovered in the 70s and 80s. 
um, a Nobel Prize was given to uh, Mike Bishop and Harold Varmus for the discovery of oncogenes, and they, they did this by using viruses as a guide. So there's, there's precedent for using viruses as a guide. We're just now applying it, instead of to studying the genetics of cancer, we're using it to study the metabolism of cancer um, and identify important cancer metabolism targets. And so one target that my lab is very interested in that is a new target is an enzyme uh, involved in fructose metabolism, which is a different type of sugar than glucose that is actually quite prevalent in the um, Western world due to the um, prevalence of high fructose corn syrup in a lot of processed foods and soft drinks. We found that viruses turn on expression and rely on increased expression of an enzyme involved in fructose metabolism. And this is also found in tumors as well. And so this is one metabolic pathway and enzyme that we're really interested in. So were you surprised by this? I mean, did it catch you off guard that you would see this particular enzyme engaged, especially maybe in a, a Western diet? Or was this something that you expected and you just kind of followed your, I hate to say it, but gut to get you to this point? No. Actually, it was really unexpected, um, and I mean, it was mo we we looked at several metabolic enzymes that viruses selectively turn on during infection and require for optimal replication, and this one was the most surprising to us, um, especially because you patients can actually be born without this enzyme, human patients, and they're fine, and so it's surprising to me that viruses seem to. Um, need this enzyme. And so it's still very early stage, but we have promising data that this enzyme isn't, we and others, I should say, others have published on this enzyme um, already, playing an important role in growth of certain cancers. Fantastic. So you are at a really interesting, I think, inflection point in your career where you're making lots of decisions about what type, not only the area of science, and oncology research that you'll be interested in, but how you'll move forward and what field you'll move forward in. I'd be interested in hearing maybe what lies next for you and also how ACS has impacted your career progression thus far. Yeah, well, let me take the second question first. Um, the ACS has had a huge influence on my research and my career. Um, the the project that the ACS has funded is actually the project I just discussed, using viruses as a guide to identify important cancer metabolism drug targets. And I think this project is the, the nearest to my heart and my lab. It's been you know, one of the most exciting projects in the lab. Um, it has enabled us to move in lots of different directions that, uh, like we, that we didn't plan to move in, and that's been very exciting and has led to many promising leads for us. So it's had a huge influence on our, our research and also my career as well. I mean, any, any big grant has a, a big influence on my ability to hire people in my lab and also do the, the work that we really want to do. And so I, I'm extremely grateful for my funding from the ACS. And then the next steps of my career, that's a good question as well. I've had my lab now for 10 years, and I've started to think about that. You know, I'm at the point where I feel like I have a lot of great science ahead of me, a lot of great discoveries ahead of me, 
and because I'm still young, um, but I've gotten over getting tenure um, and building my lab and now getting better and better people to work for me. And so the question is, where, where am I going to spend my effort? Am I going to spend my effort on cancer? Am I going to spend my effort on just more basic metabolism questions and, and I, or you know, other diseases or other questions? And I have to say, I am and have been for, for a long time really motivated to apply my research to studying cancer. Uh, everybody has been touched by cancer, and I'm excited that my work can have the potential to influence future treatments for patients and, and, and outcomes of patients. And so looking towards the next 10 years of my lab, that's where I'm hoping to put most of my effort. Well, I would agree. The ACS thinks you have lots of great discoveries ahead of you as well. So thrilled to hear that you plan to remain in cancer research. I do have one question about training. So you mentioned, or you've mentioned several times your lab. So one of, I think the biggest challenges for an academic researcher is that not only are you generating ideas and all these fantastic hypotheses that you're in, then investigating, but you're also a mentor for younger scientists, graduate students, postdoctoral fellows, um, junior faculty and technicians. So how do you see your role as a mentor and helping sustain the pipeline of a younger generation interested in cancer research? That's one of my most important aspects of my job. Um, it's one of my favorite aspects of my job. This is such a great career. You get to do interesting um, work every day. Um, you're always learning new things. And so I, I love being a mentor and helping inspire that excitement and, um, and creativity in my trainees um, and helping them launch their own careers. I think the important thing for, for um, trainees in science is to remain motivated and also to find their own niche, to find what really inspires them and work hard towards it. You don't want to be just doing follow-up science incremental science, following up on the next obvious thing. You want to ask the big questions and design the right experiments to answer those questions. And so that's what I strive to do for my trainees, for my grad students and postdocs in the lab. Um, and it's something that I look forward to is helping them launch their own careers um, in the future. And I was going to mention one more thing that I'm excited about in the next 10 years, if that's okay. Oh, um, absolutely. Mention all you want. We want to hear. So the next, the next 10 years for cancer metabolism is going to be really exciting because for a long time, researchers in the cancer metabolism field, myself included, have been focused on the metabolic pathways inside the cancer cells and how they're different from normal cells and how we can target them. But more recently, the field, and me included, have realized that, wait, those pathways are influenced by the, the circulating nutrients. Um, and we can change what the tumor sees by changing the diet of cancer patients. And that also has an influence on, on the tumor metabolism and the ability to grow. So I'm really excited to see how changes in diet can influence not only tumor growth, but also tumor response to current cancer drugs. Because I think there's 
really good data coming out of my field and my lab showing that diet can have real responses um, to tumors and make tumor treatment better. And I think that this is something very promising that should uh, become more mainstream and hopefully be rolled out into the clinic in, over the next 10 years. That is exciting. And it's also exciting as we think about being patients ourselves um, or caring about people who have cancer or are at risk that there are modifiable risk factors that will roll out over the next few years that are you know within our grasp to, to change the influence that cancer has so we are um, we'll kind of we'll kind of wait and be excited about what you and your colleagues uh, discover uh, you're right it's a fantastic field with, with so much that you've already contributed and I think really kind of an unlimited scope of future contribution. So very exciting area indeed. All right, I have one last question and that is that I would love to know just what are your thoughts? I mean, no one is a cancer researcher uh, without thinking about the end of the line, which are the cancer patients that will ultimately benefit from the research that we're doing. So is there a message that you would like to share for cancer patients and folks that love them? I would just say that I think there's reason to be hopeful. I think that uh, we understand so much about cancer now. And the even just since I've been in the field for the last, you know, 20 years, we've learned so much. And so I think that there's, um, there are great treatments in clinical trials right now, and even more in preclinical development. And so my hope is that little by little, cancer will become a disease that people no longer die of. Um, and I think that that is going to be attainable in, in my lifetime. Well, Heather, we certainly hope so too. And we are grateful for all the work that you and your colleagues do. And we'll let you get back to it. But thanks so much for sharing some time with us this afternoon. We're grateful. You're welcome. I'm grateful too. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.